Yeah, yeah, we should have done that. Why, why did James Gunn fucking choose this shit? Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the Air Podcast where we like to talk about comics and we like to talk about films and TV programs and sometimes a little bit of music. I am your regular co-host, Matt Parts. One part of the regular co-hosting team with me, as always, it's Tim. Tim, how are you? Oh my god! How am I? I am fucking great. I'm like feeling it right now. So let's. Uh, I'm good. Very good. And how are you? Um, what's the opposite of what you're feeling? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I feel. I feel exhausted. I have had a tempestuous month, but yeah, it's just nice to see you. Nice to be here. It's nice to be here on the back of a, a bit of success with the podcast, it's safe to say. Oh, oh, my God. Yeah, so we have been doing on YouTube little excerpts from the podcast where it's comic book sex explained. And it's all <laughs> it's also in actual fact, I didn't list them as entertainment. I listed them as comedy. And you know why? It's because we're fucking hilarious, Tim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. I mean... Yeah. I was re-listening to the Swamp Thing episodes over the last couple of days to try and find the bits where we talk about how oh, the yeah, yeah, sure. uh-huh. Swamp Thing would get down and dirty in the in the swamp. I was yeah. in Sainsbury's, so like the, the supermarket, and I was laughing out loud. <laughs> if I'd have been drinking, I would have done a spit take at one point, and I had to look around, and I was like, you fucking idiot. <laughs> awesome. I forgot. Yeah, we, we, we talk about sex a lot, like in these comics. Like we, well, we do actual comic episodes. I think we're about to talk about sex a little bit more as well today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, certainly if if the YouTube video. So yeah, we did one on Superman and that's that's tiptoeing around 2,000 views. And then we've got a vampire one that's up there as well. And that doesn't have 2,000 views. (laughs) But I mean, it's ticking along nicely. We can't be greedy. The Oppenheimer one's almost on 300. That's on 299. So if anyone wants to be the... 300th viewer of the Oppenheimer, which I believe is where it is a good place to bring in one of our nearest, dearest members of the Empod family. It's going to be a naughty one. It's a Tara episode, everyone. Tara, how are you? You have a reputation that I know nothing about. (laughs) (laughs) You bring it out of me, Tara. That's what I'm saying. I I do think Tara raises the meter quite a bit. I always have this uh, giddiness to me when you're around, Tara. Well, thank you. I don't know what to say. <laughs> well, you don't have to say anything, but making faces isn't very good for a podcast. That's all I I'm sorry. Say. Okay, I'll stop making the faces. <laughs> I mean, it's great for me and Tim, but... It's not voluntary. Fun <laughs> on Zoom. Well, it's a lovely face, isn't it? It's just it's just one of those. You, it's a delight to be around, eh, Tim? <laughs> And I think Joe, Joe brings the best out of us as well, doesn't he? I think Absolutely. we're just boring. That's what it is. We, <laughs> we just need, we need that third part. I'm trying to think of the last time we had just the two of us. We've had three people on for a little, for a little while, it seems like. Yeah, third. let me, well, I can tell you I've got the, I've got the episodes, don't I? I think we did one with just the two of us. I thought you did a catch up one or something. Yeah, I think we did a couple of films, maybe. Was it the Royal Hotel one? Something uh, horror. I can't remember which one. Oh, it was the Marvels and the Royal Hotel. I didn't see that movie, so that was like a weird episode because you were just monologuing on that. I think I did. Maybe right. we were out. Yeah, maybe we turned <laughs> into people. like a jovial bunch, and then the next time the two of us do one, we'll be as jovial. I think that is one of the options, Tim. Yes. Some questions are best left unanswered. 
<laughs> right. Uh, right, on to today's episode. We're nearly at the end of our little little project of going through all the source material for James Gunn's DCU Slate. And this was the mini project inside the mini projects where we've gone through each of Grant Morrison's Batman omnibuses, the I, Omnibundies. And today, dear listeners, we are on volume three, the concluding volume of Grant Morrison's Batman. Now, Tim, we've had a bit mm. of a, a mixed go at this one, haven't we? What were your general thoughts about this concluding volume? All right, my general thoughts are, so if anyone hasn't read, I'll just, let me just give like a 20 second yeah. summation of what this is about. So at the if you recall the conclusion of volume two, Bruce Wayne decides to fund and and create Batman Incorporated, where he will create Batman throughout the entire globe to fight crime. So the early sections of this third volume is him going to different places and creating those cells, basically like Batman cells throughout like different countries. Yeah. And then when he gets everybody together, they're fighting this main bad called the Leviathan. And yeah. so we go through all that. That's the general breakdown of you know, the 30,000 foot view of what happens. My view on this was I was pretty ambivalent about it. Um, I I really liked the first volume. I really had difficulty with the second volume. Okay. And I think this one's sort of in the middle. Um, right. Parts of it that are that were slightly the first part of this, when he's getting the teams together, I liked a lot. I like the sub bads, like the death guy. I can't remember what he's called, like Mr. Death or the guy with the skeleton face. Yeah, head. yeah. Dr. Daedalus was pretty cool. So all that stuff was really good, I thought. Like pretty linear. It was easy to follow the story. I think that's why yeah, I liked yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And then you get into that traditional, what you're always scared of with Morrison and the second half of this volume where it's some large story is being fed to you, but you can't really follow the pieces. And his writing is such that you're focusing on each panel, on each sentence, like really closely to try to follow what's happening. So you're missing the forest for the trees. And so you don't, you're not paying attention to the broader structure. You're trying to pay attention, like what's happening right now. Um, and so at that point, like, I, I think I have to read this second part like three times to really appreciate it. But that's exactly how I felt about the second volume. Like I'd have to read that volume like three times to really mm. try to figure it out. So my view is ambivalence on it. Like parts of it I loved, parts of it I didn't quite follow. Like once we get into the Leviathan conspiracy, I, I found that more difficult. But again, not like we've talked about Morris in the past. I don't necessarily think it's bad. I just think that it requires several readings to really appreciate. Yeah. The I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is also a great podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> It's almost like I planned it intentionally. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine. Uh, I mean, you've just basically hit every single one of my notes on my general thoughts. It's a little sort of sidebar. Can you imagine me having been uh, new to DCV doing New 52 and doing it retrospectively? However, it was only because there's two volumes of... So the first... The first volume is Batman. The second, it's in title and in nature. The second yeah. volume is Batman and Robin in title and in nature. And then this third yeah. one is Batman Incorporated again in title mm -hmm. and in nature. Can you, So there was like a 12 issue Batman Incorporated, which was in the previous era. And then there was a second volume of Batman Incorporated that was about what 16 issues. Can you imagine me as a new 52 reader picking this story up, only oh, reading man. that second volume? It was, I would, oh my God. I, it was, I was like, I don't understand anything. I was like, this is fucking terrible. There's a fake out death of Robin at one point, which is a really, really good moment. And it was at that point where I was, okay, there's a thing going on there's this leviathan thing and we've got all these different batmans and okay i can see in the moving pieces i can't see the board yet 
let's just run with that. But I found in that the first trade paperback was completely dumbfounding, but the second one was quite good. Conversely yeah. to what you say, Tim, I think I appreciated the second the second title, so the, the 16 issue one more because I already had read it and it just was a lot mm. more smooth sailing where the first one mm-hmm. was was still a little bit puzzling. So yeah, 100%. Do you know what I likened this Batman Incorporated arc to in general? It's like Dancing with the Stars. Watching amateurs do professional work poorly and the only way that that's enjoyable it because it requires an emotional connection to the contestants. And mm. I didn't feel anything for any of the side characters. We already have this Bat family. Before I go into too many more details, it was a more traditional superhero tale relying on moments. And I think in actual fact, it was fractious because with the change in art style as well, it had this this almost nomadic eye to all the different locations mm-hmm. for the Batman with the different art styles, like a flickering tube light. Well, interestingly enough, I fit right in with the two of you in that um, I also felt more emotionally attached to one volume than the others. And it sounds like with Tim, it was the first one. With you, it was the second one. With me, it was this one, weirdly. So there's a couple mm. of, threads that come through that felt like Easter eggs for me in terms of being a psychologist. It felt like there was heart. It felt like there was meaning for me. Yeah, I was attached somewhere. Just, it was nice to be emotionally connected instead of watching all the circus go by. No pun intended. Did you detect just in general in this volume, which is something I've never associated really with Grant Morrison. I mean, he definitely has a dark humour, but there was some genuinely funny moments of whimsy in this when Robin is really bitchy towards Batman because he preferred being with Dick Grayson didn't he because mm-hmm. Dick Grayson was was more of a mentor whereas Batman is of course the father figure and right. he just sort of shakes his head going why did you even bother coming back to life <laughs> yeah. we were good we were good with that and then <laughs> there's another moment where Batman I think it's with Jim Gordon goes to him, you're joking. And on the next page, he goes, you know me, Jim, I don't like jokes. Those quick cut panel to panels, if it was a film, you'd be, it would be emphatic editing. It almost provides this comic timing that I've not really seen. And there's another one where I think Batman's all serious and shit. The next panel is just back cow and it says, moo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, the cow's so good. Yeah, the yeah. cow has good timing. The always. cow. Yeah. <laughs> that whole part of Damien Wayne, because they go to like an abattoir, don't they? And I, what was the point of the abattoir again? Like, they're poisoning everything, aren't they? Leviathan. Oh, that's right. They're, they're yeah. poisoning the water, they're poisoning the food supply and all that kind of thing. Yeah. He just looks at me and he's like, I'm vegetarian. Yeah, that was- <laughs> and then he takes the cow home. He says, yeah, yeah totally. It's, it's back cow. Back cow. Back cow. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I've gotten used to a certain level of confusion with these three on the buses. So it just didn't max out my sense of like, I can't follow this. Do you know what I mean? I was trying to just relax yeah. and go with it. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. 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 Just kind of let let the tide take you backwards and forwards. Exactly. Make sure I've got sound footing and just let it push me around a little bit. You've just got to go with it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's safer to go with it, totally. If you try to push against it, that's where it's... The analog would be like in the concert setting, dangerous to push against it. Right. Yeah. And and reading this, it just increases your level of frustration if you just... If you try to fight it. Fighting it, yeah. Yeah. I'd be better at it, you know, like having done Alan Moore for so long. Yeah, he also yeah. does that kind of thing. I thought I'd be better at it, but I I found myself fighting against it, like trying really hard to figure out what was happening, mm. and that did increase my level of frustration. And I think I think that it, there's also that element of in the second part, like after he completes the team, 
and they start fighting Leviathan, the grand story comes into focus. I think I was a little Batmaned out at that point. Like we've read so much of it. I was like, all right, this is, I'm frustrated and I'm kind of tired of this. So I think if I went back to it fresh, you know, it might be easier for me and more rewarding. That's not a trial I'm prepared to put you through, though, Tim. <laughs> In fairness, though, when I pulled this off the shelf, and um, so it was next to me to, to talk about today, I did look at my DC Omnibus shelf, and I went, but you know what? I bet that James Tiny and the Fourth Detective Comics Omnibus, that would go down. It's not a nice little palate cleanser now. <laughs> oh, yeah. I bet that's good. a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we should have done that. Why, is, why did James come fucking choose this shit? <laughs> <laughs> With that confusion, though, it's in a way, and maybe attributing something to it that isn't actually by intention, but it makes you apathetic as a reader as well. Whereas, really, that is the gist of the detective problem solver as well, trying to find patterns in things. Yeah, totally. So yeah. it almost kind of puts you in the place of Batman in the story, because as the reader, you're trying to work it out and see patterns in the story. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's yeah. why I got so excited when they referenced a few things that I could connect to. Did you guys notice um, the little, I think it was with Tanya, where she called herself the wire mommy? Did you guys catch what that meant? Because no. That meant, well, there's this attachment experiment that's famous by Harlow and the monkeys. Do you remember any of that? Yeah, it's like a classic experiment that's thought of as completely unethical but also completely useful in understanding human attachment and they thought until then that the only reasons children attached to their mothers were that they brought the food so they set up a wire monkey the wire mommy that she's talking about that had the actual food in it and then they set up a comfier one that was cushy like a stuffed animal sort of situation but had no food so they wanted to see which it's kind of diabolical when you think about it, right? So she's saying she's yeah. the wild mommy. She's the one that has the food so you get to live, but she's not going to comfort you. Yeah, uh, yeah, like it's yeah. over for you if you're looking for comfort. I'm the wire yeah. mommy. And what was the result of the experiment? Oh, um, that the monkeys were really fucked up after the experiment and they would eat and then run right back to the soft mommy. They didn't want to be with the wire mommy except to survive. Okay. In a way, Damien has two of them. Yeah, that makes sense, right? With two yeah. wire monsters, is that what you mean? Because of Batman? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. No wonder he likes Dick Grayson. He's the closest Exactly. Thing to He's the soft mentor, right? Mm -hmm. Like the more forgiving mentor. And yeah. you know, Damien's kind of fucked up, it turns out. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, he tries. Sense. He's damaged, but he tries, you know, and he tries to be good. I know? mean, who could not be damaged when your mom is visibly making a do-over in front of you of your life? Mm, yeah 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 that relationship was one of the the high points of the of the story i thought the complexity yeah. you're never certain and we never actually find out if bruce is the father batman's like of course i know wh whether it is or not but i'll tell you when the time needs it but as readers we never do find out mm. that's a good point another thing that i picked up on is the a rubric nature of any Batman run from start to finish, they almost have to put the toys back in the box. And no matter what they add to the overall law or the canon, there's always that finishing point where it's back to normal, like, mm -hmm. and, which is common in comics profoundly. But with Batman specifically, he's always got to be Batman. There's no room for growth. He's kind of his own victim. And there's this never-ending story. And the whole thing is propelled by tragedy. He can't grow because if he shows growth, the story of Batman ends. So he's stuck in this, like I said, a robotic nature of comic books, but also as a character, he's almost isolated in the way that his character can never change or can never grow because then that just cancels the very concept of Batman. And as a character, he'll probably outlive all of us, but he's never given the opportunity to grow. Mm. There was a moment when that hit me really hard in terms of, I think it was when Tanya told him he had to choose between his city or his child. Yeah. And you realize he's kind of screwed either way there. Because 
if he chooses what he really wants, then his story ends. Like you said, he can't grow, but so far, or else this doesn't keep going forward. Mm -hmm. He needs Gotham. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. He needs it to be messed up. He needs it to be messed up, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's quite funny that Grant Morrison, when he, whatever the era was before New 52, he was the first to say all canon is canon. But then this story itself ends up being out of canon because it's not in the New 52 mainline because you had this Scott Snyder run that was then the main Batman. You had Batman and Robin, Robin, which was Tomati Gleason, which was tied into this. But the first Batman to say everything is in history is eventually became itself out of canon. Were there other examples of this? Was it in the New 52 where they sort of said, this is not a reset, no. this is a continuation, or is this the only one? This is the only one, but it was in tandem <clears throat> to the New 52 Batman. And in actual fact, it was a lot like when Tom King's run was sidebarred and then they brought in, was it Tiny in the Fourth to pick up the a new start for Batman? But then... In tandem, the Tom King run finished with the Batman and Catwoman story arc to tie his up nicely. Yeah, yeah, that was like a twelve or sixteen. Yeah, yeah. Issue run. Yeah, I thought I read, and I, I'm sure I'm wrong, but that um, they let, I think Jeff Johns continue Green Lantern into the New Fifty Two um, yeah, without yeah. resetting. I, but I, I, I can't remember. I, I don't know, but. That's interesting. I, I had forgotten this was part of the New 52, mm. like in the New 52 era. Yeah. Well, it was only half of it. It was the second volume. That's why there was two volumes of... Okay, yeah. That was yeah. well cut. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that this story managed to humanize Batman a little bit more? His flaws, he fails by his nature and love as a parental figure. I thought the entire three volume set humanized him. Morrison's ron is very humanizing in total puts him yeah. through trials even the second volume which i didn't understand as much where he travels through time i thought that oh god that he, when he comes back he's seen the future i think that and the anxiety that produces and the urgency to create batman incorporated because he's seen the consequences of the leviathan success i did think that humanized him because it forced him to bring in more people into the club where he's resisted that in the past. And I thought yeah. it made him trust more, you know? I thought definitely the, the entire arc, I thought was quite humanizing. Yeah, I think so. I go as far as saying it was almost an enlightenment of Batman. In the way mm-hmm. that in that second volume, the Batman and Robin middle run, mm-hmm. he kind of conquers the metaphysical and then this brings him back to a more sort of corporal and emotional trials that's one of the reasons i think talia is such a great villain an antagonist Mm -hmm. because she in particular brings that out in him and she's great at designing plots you know that force him into that space for obvious reasons like she's the mother of his child and they've had a past together and she's just good at exploiting that so i think that she does a really good job that's why she's i think a great villain Mm-hmm. But it posed a good question for me, and I'd be interested to know what Tara thinks of it, because can female villains only ever be referential in the way that Tim so beautifully described? Or in actual fact, is it that the best villains are always referential? I'd certainly rather go with the latter because I wanna, don't want to say that women can't be villains. So yeah, the best villains are referential or else you wouldn't be able to connect with them emotionally. Mm. Mm. Do you think that there is a propensity in comics to make female villains referential? Is it a trope that's adopted because they feel that it's kind of like the opposite of Phrygian, isn't it? That to raise the stakes, the villain has to have had a past with the Mm -hmm. central character. I suppose Catwoman's another example in this law. That is something I get excited about when Catwoman's in the picture. So I guess that's kind of a good point. She was great at the beginning of this as well, wasn't she? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was cool. Yeah. I was about to say she was catty and I caught myself. <laughs> <laughs> I love the way you, how she adopts that aloof persona of a cat. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like completely totally. emotionally independent and scathingly so at times. Right. <laughs> right. Going with them. Do you know what I couldn't understand though? When Batman's going around make, collecting all his <laughs> collecting all his foreign Batman thing. It's almost like Grant Morrison goes out of his way to place Bruce Wayne where the Batman stuff's going on. And I'm just thinking to myself, come on. Like, sure, yeah. this is completely counterintuitive. It's so far as it's like, obviously, Bruce Wayne is Batman. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, of course. Yeah, because Bruce yeah. Wayne is yeah. appearing in all these exotic locations where yeah. in each one. Come on. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah. It's like, right. come on, guys. Look, you get everybody back to the bus. I'm just going to go and check on one of the teachers and then Spider-Man appears. Get out of yeah. town. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, no, it's, yeah. it's Spider-Monkey. It's Spider-Monkey. He's the Italian Spartan. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, Ned. <laughs> <laughs> we all know you're going to be the fucking hobgoblin, you two-faced piece of shit. <laughs> What did you guys think of the Kathy Kane section? The Kathy Kane affair? I thought that I hated was cool. It. I hated it. Really? Yeah, I hated it too. I hated Why? it. Look, as an individual story, like what this does well is there's a bit where there's an establishing shot for Leviathan, which is almost, I don't know if it's the back or the front of the issue. And it says, well, while Batman's been pissing about with Batman Incorporated, this is how Leviathan's been infiltrating. And it was like a, a short vignette about how it's infiltrating schools and police stations and all that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. And I think those asides, while at the time you don't think very much about them, they're very cannily placed that it does feed something later in the story. And then when it pays off, you kind of think, oh, okay, that wasn't just a novel little thing. But with, is it Cassandra Kane? Is that what you said? Like Kathy Kane. Kathy Kane. Yeah. 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 I hated it. When she comes back at the end and she shoots Talia Al Ghul from nowhere, just appears in the cave. They use ex machina much. <laughs> and there's no real foresight from that little one issue story in the middle to purvey any importance going forward. And we didn't track her. She just appears and shoots her. Uh, Kathy came at the end does? Yeah, she shoots yeah. Tyrell Al Ghul in the very last... But that issue itself, I thought it was cool, because it sets up how El Gaucho knows her and recruited her and motivates Batman's, you know, fight with him. Yeah. Because it was. Yeah. Um, the issue in itself, I don't I like... have a problem with, but how it was used yeah, yeah. to the ultimate... Because it's always icky as well when someone's killed with a gun. I don't like, and it's not something that ever happens, does it, in comics? Superheroes against superheroes. Because most of them could die by a bullet, right? Captain America sure. dies by a bullet. So if it's that easy, then how come nobody else has just thought about, I just I, I just didn't like it, Tim. I didn't like it. The issue was good, but I didn't like that, the final issue. I have no idea. Yeah, I just thought it was a clumsy ending. Well, fuck off, because I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that one issue. <laughs> Then, mate, I don't think you should be starting your first day at work getting up at 5.45 anymore. <laughs> You've got, I mean, I don't know if this is the energy you need to take with you. I'm not, not going to lie. <laughs> oh, oh, this, my God. This, this was a good experiment. For your own good. It's a good you needed, for you needed, yeah. you needed to get up at 5.45 today. <laughs> oh, um, okay, I have another question about Talia. Go for Do, it. What are what are her motivations vis-a-vis -vis Batman? I get what they are. The reason I ask is because is it just like she's the spurned lover? Is that yes. it really? She, I, and I think, but I mean, hell hath no fury like a woman scorn. If she can't have him, nobody can have him. What this made me think of: How good is Batman at shagging? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> to raise the whole fucking world. Like, he's, yeah. that bad D must be fucking <laughs> long and girthy. And he must yeah. know exactly what's how to do it. Like, when I started thinking about it, he's not just going to be good at the fucking, the whole seduction, <laughs> the lead up to it. He'll be detecting the whole thing. Like, he'll just see a lady in a Starbucks and then... Three nights later, he's smoking a cigarette in bed and her knickers are on the floor. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's... Totally. He, 
He's, and, and then when I think about like how intrinsically capable he would be at the art of lovemaking as well, Tim, he's going to mot out like there's no tomorrow. Like he's going to be up to his ears in pussy. He's not going to stop totally. until that. <laughs> and, with, and with Talia, he did it all drugged. Imagine that. What yeah. is he going to do when he's not drugged? I've got like jigsaw traps, but they're just made for pure pleasure. Bruce Wayne's yeah. lovemaking technique is the antithesis to any Saw film. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, it's, and, it's, and let me tell you, it's not going to be blood that's squirting out of anything. It's going to be like sawing off your legs just to yeah. get the bat dick. Yeah, he'll be like, <laughs> he'll bring her like an inch, an inch before climax. And then yeah. she's like... <laughs> Just do it, do it. And she's like, the whole <laughs> fucking body's quivering and knees are knocking together. And she's like, just, just let me finish. And he's like, no. And then slows it down again. Yeah. Just, just kisses yeah. her neck. Just kisses her neck and blows in her ear for half an hour. Diabolical. <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah, so... So I can kind of understand <laughs> when you've had that Bruce Wayne D, there's no D in the world that's coming. Yeah. <laughs> there is no dick in the world that is ever going to pleasure you like Bruce Wayne. you got to poison every man, woman, and child in the world because you're so, like, <laughs> fucking broken over it. <laughs> yeah, the whole planet is raised. because That's all he had to do. Like, when you think about it, it's just selfish, isn't it? All he needed to do was knock a back doors in one more time and the whole world's just left yeah. alone but he can't even Seriously. they're busy people it could be like a distance relationship just every six <laughs> months he flies out to the evil island like i said the thing, not, thing down where where's it like a baseball glove and then fucks off back to gotham <laughs> <laughs> that could work <laughs> so yes tim i think it was just a woman's scorn oh funny <laughs> you know her um her motivations vis-a-vis her dad, I think are kind of interesting. He never trusts her to like take over. He's always suspicious of her. Never. He's always putting her down. And for her, it's yeah. like, I'm, I'm going to prove something to you. Whereas as regards Batman, you know, it's just like he wants, she wants to dig. I tell you what, that makes a point that I hadn't thought of that there's almost a mirror in between Damien and Batman and her and Ra's al Ghul. Yeah. But how the motivations and the reception of it is differs is, you know, the end product is. And Damien's such, I mean, we've not talked about him enough yet, but I love him as a character. I absolutely love him. He's trying so hard and he's still that little shitbag, but he's not naughty. <laughs> he just desperately wants to do well. And there's a sequence yeah. in it where he has to kill somebody to save Batman. And he's mortified because he thinks he's lost his dad's understanding. But he was like, if I hadn't have killed him, you would have died. And, he, and Batman's just cutting it, we don't kill. And that's yeah. it. And, and Damien's just absolutely mortified by it. Well, even in that earlier volume, it must have been volume one, where he, he's introduced and he right off cuts the dude's head off. That's him. In his mind, he's doing well. But he's mm. just doesn't know what well means, you know, yet. He's been taught yeah. that, like, just, like, fucking anyone up and killing them yeah. is the right thing to do. His character is always one where he's not a bad person. He just has been taught differently. And he's relearning what, what it means to be a good person, basically. And it poses really nice questions of, of family lineage and can a son ever replace a father when you have a child are you only providing yourself with a replacement and i don't like using i hate i abhor this allegory that i'm going to use because it's the easiest one and it's what hacky hacky insight is born from because it is so easy to make however the more i thought about this it's not just Neo in the Matrix being Jesus because he sacrificed himself and was reborn. There is a real Jesus Christ allegory here. The virgin birth, the father that gives his son to the people in sacrifice to save the world. You mm. also have disciples in this story. Yeah. Mm. There's also, I don't want to spoil what 
comes after this in the Batman and Robin, but I don't think you'll be reading it anytime soon. The rebirth of Damian Wayne in Batman and Robin, and it only comes like four or five issues afterwards. Mm-hmm. So how does he come back ultimately? Is it like a Lazarus pit or something? Uh, I can't remember, Tim. It's something comic-y. Something that happens in comics. And Dallas, yeah. It was a dream. It's all just a dream. I'll never forget that. Wait, Dallas ends, it was a dream? No, well, there's they get rid of a whole season that way. They killed off Bobby. They killed off Bobby and the ratings plummeted. The woman wakes up in her bed panicking and she hears someone in the shower and she's like, who the fuck's in the shower? And then Bobby walks out and it turns out the whole season had been a dream. Oh my God. How did people react to that? It was ugly. I guess we don't know because it was pre-internet. Is that where the whole trope, like it was a dream, that's just a lazy way to get rid of something comes from? The shark jumping trope, yeah. Okay, interesting. Didn't Newhart end that way? Where he wakes up (laughs) and has a dream? He wakes up with his first wife and the entire second show was a dream. In the show Roseanne, which is one of my favorite, notwithstanding she's a maniac, I have such a fondness for the original show. The series ends... And everything after Dan's death is a dream. Everything after his heart attack is a dream. And in fact, he died. But in the show, he like leaves her for another woman. And that was her way of processing anger. But all that stuff after that was not a dream so much, but a story she wrote. Everything before that actually happened in the show. Anyway, we're getting off Mm -hmm. topic. I love that. I'm very (laughs) interested in that kind of thing. What was the hospital procedural? At the very end of the whole series, they zoom mm. out of the hospital and it's in, you know, one of those snow shakers. And no way. And the whole thing was a little, it was in a Clean little elsewhere. boy's bedroom. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So the that. whole nah. the whole series took place in this child's snow globe. No way. Yeah. I never saw yeah. it, but I heard about it. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big show. People that that was very popular. Yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, yeah, yeah. I have no idea. I never watched it. I know my parents watched it, but I don't know. Because St. Elsewhere had a lot of cameos from other characters from different TV shows. So because they were all linked together, there was this St. Elsewhere of us. When you link when maybe that TV program had a character from this one, it was something like half of all sitcoms from the 80s and 90s took place in this snow globe. Wow. Really clever. That is that is awesome, Matt. I got to dig into yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I have another question for you. So there is a prophetic dream that Batman has, which I think it might have actually been issue 666, where there is a future Batman who is brutal and he rules uh, yeah. Gotham with an iron fist. And... The interpretation of that story is that it is, in actual fact, Damien Wayne that has become the future Batman. But without his father's guidance, he is unbridled and he, in actual fact, rules it with the willingness of somebody like um, Talia Al Ghul. And because of that, Batman says, you can no longer be a part of the team because I've mm-hmm. had this prophetic vision that the world collapses when you are Batman. Now, this was very clumsy from Grant Morrison because it ignores the very obvious trope that maybe it's Batman doing that that creates... Yes, yes. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, yeah, completely. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly the thing that lets him go unbridled takes away Batman's guidance and nurturing from him. Completely agree. In so doing, he is empowering the prophecy to come true. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the the bitterness and the resentment that Damien might hold because of that. Exactly. One other way to think of it is that maybe he was showing you one of Batman's flaws. You know, maybe he was Mm -hmm. suggesting that Batman is flawed in a way Mm -hmm. which we haven't seen before. But yeah, that was the only way to read that, I thought, that ultimately... In yeah. so doing, the prophecy comes true. Now, let's get to the death sequence for for Red Robin. Batman grounds him, but he doesn't ground Damian Wade. He says, Robin isn't to appear tonight. There are big machinations afoot, and the grown-ups are taking care of this. And 
Damien says to Alfred, he says, you know I'm going to go and you can't stop me. Your father said that Robin is not allowed to take part mm -hmm. tonight. And he goes, he said that to Robin. He didn't say it's a red Robin. <laughs> and then he gets his welder out and makes himself this cute little bike and a cute little outfit. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to the superhero prom. <laughs> <laughs> Looking super cute. He's got his new bike. <laughs> his outfit slays. And Alfred says, I'll just say you overpowered me. He says, you wouldn't need to do that. Of course, Batman will know. I'll just have outthought you. He says, well, you'll need to have operated the voice-activated door. And he yeah. goes, that's not a problem. I've got my dad's voice down. And again, that comedic sort of switch to Alfred going, fucking hell, he's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a big build-up. And Talia Al Ghul, knowing that her plan with Damian Wade has gone awry, Damian was supposed to infect Bruce. And what's actually yeah. happened is to prove himself to his father, the legendary Batman, it turns out that the impregnation of ideas was the reversal of what Talia wanted. So she yeah. carries on making more of these grotesque Damien clones, but they're fully formed in actual fact. The Bat family are going head to head. The heretic the heretic, this big brute, he's Bane-like in stature and he has a yeah. mask on. And the reason why he has a mask is because he still has the charming boy face of Damien. Right. And Dick Grayson is about to be felled by this beer moth and little Damien Wayne takes a spear through the stomach to save his friend and his mentor. I didn't get teary or anything, Tara, but boy, did I love that sequence. Well, it's another, <laughs> Jesus. I mean, it's another yeah, like, data point, yeah. you know? Yeah. Just as Jesus sacrifices himself, so does Damien, and both by being penetrated. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I just love that whole, that whole It sequence. was great. It was yeah. great, yeah. Because as well with the fake out earlier in the story. And when I read this, I was aware that Damien died at some point. So that initial fake out really enriched that whole story arc, the character arc. One could say that the main purposes or, or main projects in this entire run, this three omnibus run, is the transformation of Damien Wayne. You know? And it's interesting that his transformation his death is the completion of his transformation. That sacrifice mm. is the final nail in his transformation from Talia to Bruce Wayne, or you know, to 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 Batman ultimately. So I, I thought that was really kind of neat that a sacrifice in death to to complete the transformation. Yeah, mm. yeah. I found myself like the heretic when he has those scenes that are with Talia, the two of them, and she's so abusive towards him yeah. i thought myself i thought that was sad for him sad. even though he's kind of like a monster and again like he's just trying to prove himself to his mm. sort of mentor mm. and so i don't know it had it rough i was lukewarm on this but having spoke to you about it for an hour spoke to you both for an hour i'm like this is, this was pretty fucking good <laughs> yeah i know totally <laughs> yeah I think I'm separated now, actually liking something and liking talking about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's wrap up this mini-series of episodes and almost the series of episodes for James Gunn's DCU by saying, can't 7 out of 10 read something, you either do or you don't. So in isolation... If it, it's all were possible, would you recommend this on its own merits and then the entire series? I still would. I still feel glad that I read it, even though it was rough going at some part for me. Mm. I absolutely thought it was worth the trouble. Yeah, I would definitely recommend it. This volume I would recommend, and I definitely would recommend the entire three volumes with the caveat that you really do in my opinion, need time to read it. This is not something you just rip through like you're an ordinary comic. You need yeah, to focus. Like you have to come to it with energy, having slept well. Um, <laughs> you can't read it tired. 
you know, you have to, I, I think you have to really, it, it takes work, but if you're willing to do the work, then I definitely think it's worth it. I, I don't think I would. Like with all star Superman. Now I'm not saying we spoiled it for ourselves because I don't think there's ever a world when I've read enough Superman for me to find all star Superman relevant enough. So I was either going to read it cold mm -hmm. or not. I love the character of Batman. And I feel that if there was ever a point in the future where I'm more familiar with more Batman, then that would have been the time to read this. I could recommend it as a classic, but I would heavily, heavily caveat it with how much Batman have you read? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If it's nothing, then don't bother. Yep, totally. Yep. So the question that we've been forgetting to ask at the end of most of the episodes, uh, Tara, how do you think this could be adapted by James Gunn and what parts stand out to you as being particularly cinematic? Well, that's a good question. They definitely don't want to pick up every little bit because it's too confusing. It's too chaotic if they do every little bit. You think I have an answer for you, don't you? I mean, I'd like one, but I mean, there's no pressure. <laughs> you know, I'm not drunk and this isn't your prom night. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like one of those things where I'm like, let's not do a movie, let's do a miniseries. <laughs> more details. I don't know. I mean, I really am biased towards wanting to examine that family dynamic, all the psychological stuff. So I feel like I'm biased there. I really want that whole attachment thing and what is this Bat family all about? I want all that in there. Yeah. But yeah. but people who want a Batman movie are probably not going to be as interested in that. Let's assume that this gets just one movie. Okay. Now, if if it's a series, that that changes the analysis. But if it's just one movie, I think there's focus a trilogy on... in this. I think you could. Get you think there's a trilogy? Well, no, oh, I don't okay. think so. Then, is, all right. I think I don't think they're doing it with the expectation of it just being a, a one and done Batman film. Especially not with okay, the, Robert, the Robert Batten bat. I think under the assumption that there would be at least a trilogy. All right. So if that's true, and this is the, the third volume is like the third movie. I think a lot of it's adaptable. The Talia stuff is going to be, that's critical to, yeah. you can't do this. Agreed. You can't do Grant Morrison's Batman without Talia. So that's mm -hmm. going to be the main thing. I think you could do it with, so in, in this volume, for those who haven't read it, there's, I would say like four or five issues where he's getting the team together. That would be just like a quick hit, like a scene where you could do like little montages of, you know, five seconds of him fighting in Japan and then he handshake with the fucking Japanese Batman, that kind of thing. You could just knock off quick. And I would probably eliminate the subvillains, the Mr. Death or whatever, and Pig in the last one, I guess you need. Although I think there are enough distinct villains in this that wouldn't be the 1960s Batman TV show, but just giving a modern dark twist. I think if you're going with the pig guy, I think there's a, in actual fact, that pig guy would make a very good Matt Reeves Batman villain. Yeah, and he's important, I think, to the last, I can't remember what volume he was prominent. It was the number two, the beginning of number two, he's big in. I second volume of this. Is it the first? Well, whatever one that is, he's important. Yeah. So that he would be in have, that movie. You have the Black Skull, and at the end of the, the second... So let's say Mr. Pig, the first film. And then we have yeah. the Black Skull guy that's revealed to be Talia at the end of the second film. And then the third film is the Leviathan with the cacophonous conclusion to the trilogy with the Damian Wayne's story, Robin, being put through it. And nice. also, I think now you can go with a hot opening for these. I don't think you need any introduction. You have a Batman and you have a... a Dick Grayson. A Dick Grayson. I think people are familiar with one Robin and then the introduction is Damian Wayne is Robin. I think actually you'd need to keep it to just the two. Because I think as well, if you're going for a younger Batman in his late 20s per se, or maybe a 30-year-old Batman. I think it convolutes the ages a little bit too much. Yeah. With one Robin, with the Dick Grayson Robin, you can kind of just allow it, if you know what I mean. Yep. I would get rid of Batwoman and all this too. Yeah, 100. Although I like the Kathy Kane issue. Obviously, that's not going to be in the movie. And then I agree that that's a very clumsy way of concluding. I, they need to change the ending. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I would just get rid of Batwoman. I don't think that's essential, although I like the character and her connection to Batman or Bruce Wayne, rather. Yeah, I don't know. 
I mean, good grief. In any of the three omnibuses, there is enough material for a trilogy in each of them. Seriously. I think it's too complicated for a general audience, but there are definitely enough solid notes throughout this to make a very comprehensive trilogy. Totally. Let's call it a day there. Remember, guys, we have a YouTube channel, which is The End Pod One Shots. I can't remember if I took the pod out, but if you put the end one shots, then you'll find us there. We're, we're um, uploading some original content there as well. So don't miss out. You'll never be able to forgive yourself. We also have a Twitter and an Instagram, which is the end underscore pod. Uh, and if just by happenstance you are finding this on YouTube, then remember, we are a podcast and you can find all the full-length episodes on all your favourite listening locations. Tim, would you like to say goodbye to the people? Goodbye, people. Goodbye, Ashburn. Goodbye, Brussels. We love you. Um, and we'll uh, talk to you next week. Yeah, don't... Uh, Ashburn, stop listening, so just can you cut that one. Oh, don't, fuck you, then. Yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? We give him love, attention, <laughs> care... We, we accepted him into our extended The End family. And what does he do? <laughs> Stops listening. <laughs> oh, that, is, that is disappointing. Yeah, he's just a fucking prick tease. That's what he is. <laughs> Very uh, I'm really joking, Aspen. Like... If, if you do listen to this one, then, well, you know how to get back in our good graces, don't you? Listen, <laughs> listen, listen, listen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I felt that tell, tell you Al Ghul there. Well, you know what you yeah. gotta do. <laughs> yeah, you know what you gotta do. <laughs> you know what you gotta do. Sorry, baby. What you gotta say to the people? Goodbye, people. It's always good to visit with you guys. Glad to be with you this week, and hope to join you next week, maybe. An absolute pleasure to have. Oh yeah, dude. So that leaves me part of your regular co-hosting team, Matt. It is an absolute pleasure to have you <laughs> listening to us again, and thank you very much for listening to indeed the end. That only leaves me one more thing to say. We have been, and this is, the end. <laughs> oh, dear. That, that, that felt like a good one.